get here? Where did it come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The podcast. From outer space. And we're kicking off another cold one here at the podcast from outer space. It's your boy Rob Scott. We got T-Bag, a.k.a. Adam Narlock, in the house tonight. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. He brought his guest along, the uh, Great Pyrenees, Rain is her name, and uh, she'll be joining us on the podcast tonight, as well as uh, Ryan Scott, as always. Aloha, witches and warlocks. And tonight, we come to you with none other than the Great Tale of Vampires. Yes, you've got to turn to PFOS, don't touch that dial, smash that subscribe button, and drop us a five-star review. And be sure to bust out the garlic bread and crucifix, because we are continuing the horror theme all month long. And tonight, as Rob said, we are getting into none other than vampires. Now, do we got any? Did you guys have any vampire jokes? None that don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, why are there? All right. So. It's my whole thing because I've peppered in some vampire jokes because, as expected, you know, this one gets pretty gruesome. Peppered um, in? So, yeah, I've peppered in a few jokes Do here and there. vampires like pepper? Uh, just to ease the tension, baby. Easing the tension, you know? <laughs> now, why are there so many vampires in Europe and not Africa? I don't know. Why, why is that? Well, vampires hate holy water and they bless the rains down in Africa. yeah and uh feel like i just found these jokes on google so feel free to use them this halloween Uh, (laughs) um now now vampires okay probably the most recognizable and popular characters from the entire horror genre uh and you know they've even spun off into a subgenre all their own and much like our twilight yeah, and much like our zombies episode, um, there's a deep history here, and the myth, the legends, the lore seem to have evolved quite a bit from early tales. Now, Rob, you mentioned Twilight, and we are going to get into that. Later on in the uh, outline? Oh, yes. So a vampire, by definition, is essentially a creature from folklore that feeds on the vital essence of the living. This mm. is most commonly in the form of blood. Now, the vampire as we know it today is mostly thought to be fictitious. Although, there are many that would argue against this as tales of strange, blood-sucking creatures pretty much exist in all cultures and go as far back as ancient Mesopotamia. Mm. Uh, But our modern idea of a vampire seems to derive from 18th century Eastern Europe. Now, would we say vampires vacillate between the uh, living and the dead? Well, or are they the undead? Yeah, they are the undead, I think, I believe. Um, but you tell me, and we'll get into this. Now, in this episode, we're going to be focusing on some of these 18th century tales. We'll get into Bram Stoker's book, uh, which arguably spawned the entire vampire genre. We'll look at some influences, some legends. See how all of this led to the vampire becoming such a dominant figure in the horror genre, still as popular as ever in the 21st century, with numerous books, comics, films, TV shows, video games, cereal, and merchandise. 
including the new Air Trainer 3 Draculas by Nike, which I believe now release on the 28th. Ooh, just in time for Halloween. Maybe. Yeah, so mm. keep an eye out for those. I will definitely be trying to get my hands on a pair. You got a bot? Now, now right off the bat, uh, no pun intended here, what do we got? You know, what do we got on vampires? What do you know? What do you remember? Uh, first exposures, favorite films or characters? Um, you know, Teabag, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think uh, you hit on all of them earlier. Video games and cereal, Count Chocula in the house. But I think, uh, I'm pretty sure there was a Goosebumps book called Vampire's Breath. Does that sound familiar to either of you? Um, that does not sound familiar, but I'll, I'll Google it real quick. Keep going. I do remember Maybe that crazy. title. Yeah. I, I don't think yeah. you're crazy. Well, you are I crazy, be, but, but <laughs> not just for that. <laughs> and then I think, uh, like what first really piqued my curiosity was, uh, the film interview with the vampire. Oh, really? Okay. Cause, yeah. I remember being a young kid and my mom was like, I'm watching this movie. It's got scary vampires. You can't watch it. So, of course, your boy was like peeping through the door trying to watch the movie. Yeah, no, that was like 94. Um, so what? That would be like 95 when it's out on VHS and your mom was able so. to get it from Blockbuster? Yeah, <laughs> way back. Now, also, that's more of like a drama, right? Dude, I don't remember, but I could have sworn there were some titties in that movie. It's a titty horror. <laughs> it sounds like. Uh, now, wait, that's with um, I mean, it's Tom like, Cruise and who else? Who's Brad the other Pitt. gentleman? Okay, Brad Pitt. The other gentleman. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I guess, I wouldn't really consider that horror. I would, it is more of a drama, I would say. Okay, now we'll get into that in our, um, in our film and TV mm. uh, section. But okay. so really just interview with the vampire count chocula that stuff kind of piqued your interest any anything outside of that i mean i remember playing like castlevania on the nintendo that's probably like where the first really like vampires started coming into my head like what a vampire is that kind of stuff yeah so that's like your image of a vampire yeah got the plastic fangs you know you know Okay, now were you ever like a vampire for Halloween? Well, we no. all know you were. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, Rob, what do we got? Well, when I think of vampires, probably first thing that pops into my head is our boy Nicolas Cage, Vampire's Kiss. Okay. Anyone? No? Yeah, yeah, that's probably the arguably the greatest vampire film of all time. Vampire's Kiss? Yeah, Vampire's Kiss, dude. Check it out. Yeah. Or really just check out the uh, video on YouTube called Nick Cage Losing His Shit. Also, okay. It's mostly from that Basically movie. Basically a highlight reel of from that movie. <laughs> yeah. All the best parts are in that clip. Also, uh, Brooklyn Vampire. Are we familiar with that? Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, Another classic. Yeah. Uh, mm. Now, I don't believe I've seen that in recent memory. I mean, it's not something that would really stick with you. It's just another shitty vampire movie. Well, you said it stuck with you, so surely it must. Well, I'm just naming, you know, all the <laughs> shitty ones <laughs> okay. that don't get the respect they deserve, you know? Okay, okay. What else we got? But honestly, first thing, I would say, you know, our boy Drac. Second that comes to mind is uh, Nosferatu. Okay. Obviously, yeah. you know, all the horror nerds out there, they know that guy very well, probably. Yeah. And uh, 
I wouldn't be the man I am today without our boy Count Chocula, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Count Chocula seems to be the jumping point for a lot of us. A lot of kids, you know? And maybe even Count from Sesame Street. Oh, Ooh, that's yeah, a good one. Yeah. Um, now, now, for me, specifically like Dracula 1931, I, I do remember Hal showing us all the Universal Monster films, The Mummy, Dracula, uh, and even remade by your boys. You know it. We remade Dracula. It's classic, <laughs> uh, classic film. Uh, I wish I could locate that VHS. It's got to be somewhere. Now, Nosferatu. No, that the, was the same day we shot Titanic. There was a lot going on that day. Yeah, and I believe we shot a rendition of the werewolf, a werewolf mm. movie as we well. We did, we did. Um, now, a lot of classics remade by your boys. Yeah, now, Nosferatu, this one scared the living piss out of me as a young lad because um, I just remember the image of that. And do you guys remember, uh, specifically, it was an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode Season two, episode two, the tale of midnight madness, where they have to like save the theater, and he plays this film from this old like Svengali guy, um, and you know, he, yeah, he's coming around with like his chicanery, and he's um, he's popping out the like he shows him this movie reel, they play it, and the Nosferatu comes out of the screen. Oh yes, I remember that. Yeah, scared the living piss out of me. Rewatched it, stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely flippant. But yeah. yeah, those two, I remember those two specifically from my young, younger days. Now, also, growing up, um, my father, Hal, uh, local to Richmond, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia native, um, you know, born local, and raised, local to <laughs> yeah, born and raised Richmond, Virginia. That's what I'm looking for. Now, he would tell us tales of the Richmond vampire. You guys ever heard of this? Well, it's just your dad, so I've never heard the story. <laughs> um, so, well, I'm asking you if you've heard, if you remember. <laughs> you asked if we've heard it. Yes, I've heard it, bud. So you remember the tale verbatim? The tale. Not verbatim, but I'm familiar with the tale. Okay. Now, now I start looking at this because I just, you know, I remember hearing about it. I didn't remember the specific tale. Uh, went to the mausoleum. It's in Hollywood Cemetery. Murked many 40s there. Um, now, so the legend itself, we'll begin this episode before we hop into the history and everything. Um, kick it off with a little local legend, Richmond, Virginia. Shout out Richmond, Virginia. Now, the legend itself, pretty straightforward. October 2nd, 1925, the CNO Railroad Tunnel uh, running under Richmond's Church Hill neighborhood collapsed. Uh, it buried several workers alive. Now, in the midst of all this chaos, uh, rescue workers spotted a ghoulish, blood-covered humanoid creature with jagged teeth and skin hanging off its body, crouching amongst the bodies of the dead. The creature escaped from the cave-in and made its way towards the James River only to disappear in the sealed mausoleum of W.W. Poole in the famous Hollywood Cemetery right off Cherry Street in Oregon Hill. Never to be seen or heard from again. Now, that's like the legend, the myth. I guess this guy just lives in that mausoleum. Now, the cave-in part of this legend is, in fact, true. 
Um, after being abandoned in the early 1900s, the CNO tunnel sat vacant until 1925 uh, when the railroad began to work on restoring it. Now, one af- on the afternoon of the collapse, uh, bricks began to fall from the tunnel roof, uh, severing the electrical connections and plunging the tunnel into darkness. Workers began to run for the exits as nearly 200 feet of the tunnel's western entrance collapsed directly onto the work train, killing four men, trapping a steam locomotive and 10 flat cars in total. Now, a few men did in fact survive this collapse by climbing under the flat cars and escaping through the east entrance of the tunnel. One survivor was Benjamin Mosby. Uh, Now, this was a 28-year-old fireman who had been shoveling coal aboard one of the trains. Far from being a vampire, he had been badly burned with severe lacerations and a few broken teeth when he escaped the ruins running towards the James in agonizing pain as his skin hung from his body. Now, he later died from his injuries at Grace Hospital. But this is where the mythos was sort of built. I guess, you know, like people seeing this stuff in the 20s, they were like, holy fuck, what did I just witness? They, <laughs> they start telling one guy, one guy tells another guy, it eventually spins itself up into the Richmond Vampire. And the whole story makes me think of that episode of Hey Arnold with the haunted train. Oh, yeah, dude. This is exactly like that. Uh, and I've been watching... <laughs> I've been watching... Some, Basically the same story. I've been re-watching <laughs> some of the old Hey Arnold's. Those are some good... Remember the Headless Cabbie one? Oh, yeah. That's re- a classic, I recently too. just watched the uh, Arnold's Halloween with the alien story. Oh, that's also... Ooh, where they basically ripped off the uh, Orson Welles. Yeah, they did. They even uh, call it uh, <laughs> Wells Point or whatever. Yeah, is yeah. Where, they're, uh, where they have the water tower. yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of these, like there's a lot of cemeteries I've noticed because there's also like Highgate Cemetery in, uh, I believe England, London, uh, somewhere over there. Uh, and this is like, there was like legends of a gray figure being seen through the fence and like a face and like they said it was a vampire. Uh, I'm a vampire. And you know, so if you got any local graveyards that have notorious vampires, drop us a line. Let us know the legends from your hometown. hometown. We'd love to hear them. Notorious vampires? <coughs> Would they be from Brooklyn? Uh, maybe, yeah. Now, can we also say that uh, drinking in the graveyard is like a college thing because I too drank in the graveyard. I think we all have right that. on campus. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm trying to inquire here. Yeah, that's definitely like that. Well, that's also just I think we're we've always been into like you know the weird macabre sort of stuff like uh, well, ghost so hunting. We're just weirdos. Ghost Great. hunting or vampire hunting. Yeah, same thing, I guess. Right. <clears throat> so there you have it, guys. Um, We'll put a poll up, you know, asking if you've ever drank in a graveyard before. See, <laughs> how, we see how weird we really are. <laughs> yeah. Now, all right. So when we're, when we're talking about vampires, um, the first appearance of the English word vampire spelled with a Y, um, this was in a travelogue titled... Travels of Three English Gentlemen. Now, this was first published in 1734 in... The Holly and Miscellany, a collection of scarce, curious, and entertaining pamphlets and tracts, as well in manuscript as in print, found in the late Earl of Oxford's library, interspersed with historical, political, and critical notes. Um, so at this point, you know, like this stuff's published. 
Uh, now, th- as we said, this was the first appearance of the English word. Now, at this point, vampires, they already existed in French and German literature uh, because I guess 1718, Austria had gained control of northern Serbia with the Treaty of Passarowitz. Uh, and it was here that officials noted the local practice of exhuming bodies and, quote-unquote, killing vampires. Now, these reports were made between 1725 and 1732 and received widespread publicity. Uh, so it is assumed that the English term was derived from the French vampire or from the German vampire. Uh, now, there's a bunch of theories on where the word derives from or how it came to be, uh, but from what I could tell, etymology is pretty unclear on the exact origin of the term. Now, is it any coincidence that we're doing an episode on vampires and we have a great Pyrenees on the episode? Do you think that's any relation? I don't know, but that adds to the creepiness You're talking about French. You're talking about vampire. That adds to the creepiness factor, am I right? Right you are. And now I think it's interesting you got the vampire with the Y. Isn't P-Y a pyre? Isn't that like a funeral pyre? You set things on fire? Isn't that one way that you can kill a vampire? That's one way. Well, yeah, and and you're jumping ahead there, but um, that is correct. So maybe, why don't you maybe be an etymologist? Yeah, you might as well. You might have just same thing, right? Hey, you might have just cracked the case there. Mm. This Colombo, he pretends to be stupid. <laughs> we love vampires, don't we, folks? Now, as we said, if we're getting into like the folklore of vampires, uh, the bare bones idea of vampirism uh, has exist had existed for a millennia. Um, so all cultures, including Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks, Manipuri, uh, Romans. They all had tales of demons and spirits, which could be considered precursors to the modern vampire. Now, one of the earliest recordings of vampire activity came from the region of Istria in what is now Croatia, dating back to 1672. Uh, Now, here, a one Giroux Granado is quite possibly the first real person... Giroux. To be depicted, to be described as a vampire in historical records. Uh, is that a real name, or did they just type a bunch of shit out? What do you mean, Granado? G R N A D O. That's a real last name. Granado, Croatia, dude. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's missing a letter. Well, a lot of different languages may look odd to you, Rob. Wow. As T-Bag He's the fucking etymologist Um, T-Bag Can you weigh in on this I mean it looks good to me Alright Unreal The name's not important here Alright Drew is very important What's important What if someone's on Jeopardy You know And they gotta know The first guy To describe a vampire Alright well Described as a vampire Alright so the legend has it 16 years after his death Giroux arose from his grave by night to terrorize his village. Now, the village priest, Giorgio, <laughs> Giorgio, uh, who had buried Giroux, discovered that at night somebody would knock on the doors around the village, and whichever door he knocked, a member of that household would die within the next few days. Oh. 
That's like a game of ding dong ditch gone wrong, dude. Yeah, now that now Giroux also appeared to his widow in her bedroom. She described the corpse as looking as though he was smiling and gasping for breath. He then proceeded to sexually assault her. Uh, now one his night <laughs> while well, he's dead. Um, well, he's a vampire. Yeah. So one night, uh, Father Giorgio came face to face with the vampire. And he held out a cross in front of him and yelled, Behold, Jesus Christ, you vampire, stop tormenting us. <laughs> now, <laughs> Miho Radetic. We uh, are butchering these names. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> Shout apo- out to Drew, though. That's apologies in advance. Um, I don't know Croatian. So, Miho well, Red- it, it may look different to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not complaining about the legitimacy of the name. Uh, I'm just trying to pronounce it. Now, Miho Redetic Sounds like a hockey player. He led a mob of villagers to track down the vampire and attempted to kill him by piercing his heart with a hawthorn stick. Now, what's that? Um, it's, a speci- it's a certain type of wood, hawthorn wood. Um, hawthorn so- Heights? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's where they get the name. Uh, so he tries to pierce his heart with a hawthorn stick, uh, but the stick bounced off his chest. Now... Now, the next night, nine people went to the graveyard with a cross, lamps, and a hawthorn stick. They dug up Drew's coffin and found a perfectly preserved corpse with a smile on his face. And Father Giorgio said, Look, Strigon, there is Jesus Christ who saved us from hell and died for us. And you, Strigon, you cannot have peace. Now, then the villagers tried to pierce its heart again, but the stick could not penetrate the flesh. After some exorcism prayers, one of the villagers sawed off the head of the corpse. As soon as the the saw tore his skin, the vampire screamed and blood started to flow from the cut. Now, according to folklore, peace finally returned to the region after Drew's decapitation. So this is like what I guess is the first guy described as a vampire on record. Now, as we said, uh, the modern idea of a vampire as we know it can be traced pretty much exclusively back to the late 17th, early 18th century Southeastern Europe. Mm. Um, now, as we said, with as we say with any folklore, uh, you know, there's often variations. And in Eastern Europe, these creatures went by many different names, such as Striga, which was a vampiric witch in Albanian folklore that sucks the blood of infants at night while they sleep. Jesus Christ. Um, there is also Virkolakas. Um, this is an undead creature in Greek folklore that eats flesh, livers in particular, rather than drink blood. So a lot of people compare this more to a zombie. And then there is also the Strigoi uh, in Romanian folklore which are troubled spirits that have risen from the grave and have abilities to transform into an animal become invisible and gain vitality from the blood of their victims now most people point to this folklore specifically as a direct influence on bram stoker's dracula and this is basically like the the first recorded case that we just looked at this was like a strigoi or whatever um, so you basically have all these similar old myths uh, kind of rolled up into one larger vampire burrito myth. 
You tracking? Burrito. Yeah, like all <laughs> vampire burrito. Yeah, because oh. you got these three different. While well, these three different, they're different folklores. Like they're not all uh, some crazy guy who lives in a castle who's a count and and sucks blood. Like they're all they all have differences, but they kind of got lumped into the whole vampire myth as a whole. Uh, now the term vampire seems to have been popularized in Western Europe after reports of an 18th century mass hysteria. Uh, now during this time, there seemed to be an explosion of vampire sightings in Eastern Europe. Uh, even government officials participated in picking up a stake and doing some late night vampire hunting. Uh, now it's no secret. No secret. This is the age of enlightenment. You know, this was the age of enlightenment. So most folkloric legends were being, you know, dismissed and debunked. But the belief in vampires increased exponentially. And thus we get this mass hysteria throughout most of Europe. Now, this mass hysteria in particular can be tracked back to an outbreak of alleged vampire attacks in eastern Prussia in 1721 and the Habsburg monarchy from 1725 to 1734. Now, two infamous vampire cases were recorded during this time. The first involved Petar Blagovich. Sounds like a vampire. Now, is that how you would say that? Blahovich? Blagovich? Blagovich. Blagojevich. <laughs> Petar Blagovich. Uh, who was reported to have died at the age of 62, but allegedly returned from the dead asking his son for food. Now, the son refused. Jesus. Dickhead move. If your dad comes back from the dead asking you for food, you give it to him. Right? Sorry, dad. Can't do that for you. Yeah. Hey, dad, get the fuck out of here. This is my food. Hey, you're, aren't you dead? Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and fuck off? These are my potatoes, all right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so. You make that man a vampire burrito. That's what I'm saying, dude. Your dad comes back from the dead and you're going to deny him food. Um, so the son does that and was found dead the following day. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Blagovich uh, also allegedly attacked some neighbors who died from loss of blood. Now, in the second case, Milos Cesar, an ex-soldier turned farmer who years before was allegedly attacked by a vampire, died while haying. Now, after his death, people began. Yeah, people began to. What the hell is haying? Like um, baling hay, I guess, or like, oh, uh, right. yeah, you know, farmer, dude. Um, <laughs> now, after his death, people began to die in the surrounding area, and it was widely believed that Milos had turned, had returned to prey on his neighbors. Sounds now, like these guys don't like their neighbors very much. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a big theme now. Probably didn't give him any food, dude. Dickheads. Now, another infamous Serbian vampire legend of this time tells of... Sava Savanovich. Classic vampire name again. Uh, who mm. was said to have lived in an old water mill on the Rogachika River. <laughs> Don't think that's how that works. <laughs> <for that. laughs> at the Rogachika River at... I've already forgot it. Zaracha. <laughs> at Zaracha Village. Zaracha Village. <laughs> Zaracha Village. <laughs> With the vagina buster. In... 
at Zaracha Village in <laughs> Bahabista. Bahabasta. Um, Sounds like Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking know, dude. All right, now <laughs> it's a fucking Jamaican vampire. <laughs> ah, give Probably me some food, bad. man. <laughs> ah, you'll be having the food, man. We are not Ash Bakery, man. <laughs> <laughs> we are not the vampires. Uh, so. This was like legends, I guess, had that he killed and drank the blood of the millers who came there to mill their grains. He was looking for some millers. Um, now, now these incidents and the hysteria that followed were well documented. Uh, government officials examined bodies, wrote case reports, and published books throughout Europe. And the hus- the hysteria has since been referred to as "quote unquote." 18th century vampire controversy. Uh, And this kerfuffle, we'll say, raged on for a generation with the debate being further fueled by rural epidemics of so-called vampire attacks, which was basically caused by old wives' tales and superstition uh, because these were much more prevalent in village communities at the time. Now, in some cases, corpses were actually dug up and staked and people were accused Yikes. of vampirism, just like with witches, you know? Check out that episode of ours if you haven't already. Yeah, this, so... This instead, sounds more like people that are grave robbing and just saying that they're killing vampires. I, I don't know. I mean, this is instead of like... You witch, don't know? They're digging up bodies? Instead of Oh, witch, yeah, a guy was a vampire. Yeah, but they're not robbing anything from him. It's, that's, it's, what, that's what they And they're accusing other people of vampires. So it's like witch hunts, but you got vampire hunts. You gotta cover up the tracks, bud. Um, <laughs> now, now, obviously... As, as you were just saying, I guess you were just alluding to, um, there's got to be some logical explanation for these tales developing. Uh, you know, you said these could be grave robbers just trying to pass it off. Um, we said with the Jersey Devil or like similar boogeyman tales, these were kind of developed into scaring children, into behaving. Um, there's theories that witch hunts derived from like isn't there that theory about like they ingested the air got and they were like tripping balls yeah. and then they said they were witches. Um, a lot of theories. Yeah. A lot of theories out there. A lot of logical explanations. So this I guy guess, just wanted to kill a couple of millers. Well, they had a problem with it. Well, again, that's just like a, a legend. Now with these early folk tales of vampires, uh, some historians chalk this up to ignorance of the body's process of decomposition. Mm. Um, and so the legends evolved as people in pre-industrial societies tried to make sense of this. Um, so they created the vampire to explain the mysteries of death. Legends of the fall. We tracking? This has nothing to do with legends of the fall. <laughs> <laughs> The only similarity there is Brad Pitt is, in fact, a vampire. That was the connection I was looking for. Okay. Now, because it's, it's as we said in some of these early myths, uh, European folklore, vampires are undead creatures. They visited loved ones or neighbors. They brought mischief and death to the neighborhoods they once inhabited. Um, and they were often described as being dressed in shrouds and bloated and having dark, shadowy presence about them. Mm. Sounds like a vampire. So, but if we think about this like the logical explanation way, you know, Eastern Europe, pretty grim place. 
you know, even Especially today. in the 1700s. <laughs> yeah, even today, so much less back in the 18th century. Uh, you know, there was plague, disease, death all around these towns. Many times they dig up bodies and boom, they got long fingernails, they got hair growing, um, their stomachs are bloated, there's blood at the corners of the mouth. They think these fuckers are undead and they're out gallivanting off in the night, drinking blood, doing God knows what. Killing their neighbors. <laughs> yeah, you know, they make up these tales. Fucking their wives. Um, and bing, bang, boom, you got fucking vampires. You know, makes sense, right? Or maybe that lady that was telling the story, you know, she was just getting smashed by her neighbor. She blamed it on her dead husband, said he was a vampire. What? <laughs> How would that help her? So that everyone in the town doesn't know she's smashing the old neighbor. I think being smashed by a vampire dead husband would be worse. And she was sexually assaulted, not smashed. <laughs> <laughs> this is not... We are not freaking victim blaming here, Rob. This isn't Twilight, Rob. Yeah, she was sexually assaulted by her dead husband. And you're now saying that she was lying. Believe in women, Rob. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're, it's, it's, you're unreal, all right? You believe in the vampire story. I am. Her husband came back from the dead just to get one more. Well, that's how the tale goes. So. <laughs> all right so uh, so how about this all right you know we've had a laugh of it and we're not victim blaming you know condolences to that woman that poor woman yeah um but i bet at this point at this point you're probably asking yourself how's a vampire made you know how how does one turn into a vampire right that's what i'm asking well in Slavic and Chinese traditions, well, any, we're bringing China in now. Yeah, we are. Any corpse that has been jumped over by an animal, most notably a dog or a cat, was feared to become one of the undead. In Russian folklore, vampires were believed to have once been witches or people had rebe- who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church while they were alive. The Rock. Rock Nation. Now. These people back in the day, they also developed practices to prevent someone from becoming a vampire. Uh, Burying a corpse upside down was widespread. How does that help? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. I mean, some of these, as we'll see, they're kind of grasping at straws here. That's a little disrespectful. Um, Yeah. But, hey, you know, it prevents them from becoming a vampire, so better safe than sorry. Now, also, uh, placing earthly objects such as scythes or sickles close to the grave to satisfy any demons entering the body or to appease the dead um, so that it would not wish to arise from its coffin. Oh, sick. There's a scythe in here. Ah, never mind. I'm not going to fuck with this guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess demons maybe think that shit's cool. And they're like, cool, I'll just take this instead. <laughs> yeah, this guy's Sick. cool. Uh, now, in Greek folklore, uh, a wax cross with a piece of pottery with the inscription, Jesus Christ conquers, were placed on the corpse to prevent it from becoming a vampire. Uh, other methods commonly practiced in Europe, including severing the tendons at the knees. Jesus. <laughs> 
That was to prevent them from becoming a vampire? Yeah, I guess so. They could. So, I mean, their tendons are severed. They try to get up, they're going to fall right over, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, how else else do you uh, justify that? And this is my favorite one Uh, placing poppy seeds or sand on the ground at the gravesite of a presumed vampire. uh, And this was to keep the vampire occupied all night as he would count the fallen grains. Um, this is similar to, I guess, Chinese belief state that if a, a vampire being came across a sack of rice, it would have to count every single grain. Is that a, a vampire rule? I guess it's just... Uh, <laughs> One, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, this is actually how we got count from Sesame Street. That's how he got his name. (laughs) The guy loves to count. Hey, that's the legend, dude. Vampires have to count the grains. (laughs) Count Dracula. I get it now. Um, Yeah. (laughs) The guy guy loves counting. Was that it? Okay. Honestly, I just kind of theorized that, like, if this was the legend, that's how Count from Sesame Street came about. Or is it because his name is literally Count? It's because his his name is Count. Or is is that how this legend came about? Like they were like, Count Dracula, well, he must love counting. Bag of sand. (laughs) Guy loves to count sand. (laughs) Anything that comes in grain form, these motherfuckers are going to be counting it. They're going to be counting. Um, So, you know. You can count on it. All right. So, so nothing, nothing in your research about like getting bit to become a vampire, because like that, when I think of becoming a vampire, that's what I think of. Well, yeah, as we'll see, that kind of comes with later. Like these, all of these things I pulled are like the early, early folklore. Like this is okay. before we get the uh, the modern vampire that you and I know of, killed by sunlight. All that shit comes later. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. But yeah, also getting bit uh, now. Okay, so at this point, you're probably asking yourself, hey, I suspect maybe my neighbor of being a vampire. If How do I know if someone I suspect is, in fact, a vampire? Mirror trick, right? Well, simple. Um, there is a bunch of rituals used to identify a vampire, and one method, and this is so simple, guys. So in order to find a vampire's <laughs> grave, you simply need to lead a virgin boy through a graveyard or church grounds, on a virgin stallion. Perfect. And the the horse will bulk at the grave in question. Now, typically, it has to be a black horse, but if you're in Albania, it has to be a white horse. Um, Also, if there are holes appearing in the earth over the grave, this should be taken as a sign of vampirism. Now that just ties right back into Rob's grave digger theory. Oh, there's holes here. We we should check this out. This <laughs> yeah, vampire. Like, yeah, like how often is there probably holes? And what's the like definition of a hole? Like, does it have right. to be a specific hole? There's holes all over the fucking ground. You know, <laughs> there's two holes like a bite mark. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now now let's say you find the grave using the old fashioned virgin boy virgin horse trick. Uh, you dig this sucker up. Now, the corpse of a vampire will have a healthier appearance than expected. It'll be plump and show little signs of decomposition. And in some cases, fresh blood from a victim will be on the corpse's face. And if you need more evidence that a vampire was active in a given location, look for the death of cattle, sheep, uh, relatives, or neighbors. 
And furthermore, some folkloric vampires could also make their presence felt by engaging in minor poltergeist-like activity. Uh, So, you know, hurling stones on roofs, moving household objects, or even pressing on people in their sleep. Yikes. That sounds like sexual assault, brother. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now, okay. Say you've got a vampire on your hands. We've rode the rode the boy on the horse through the graveyard. We've confirmed it. Found it. Now I bet Dug you're I bet you're saying, "Hey, how do I keep this fucker away from me?" You just head on down to Olive Garden, probably. Exactly. <laughs> uh, garlic is probably the most well known example. You know, they hate garlic. I don't know why. Uh, now, also a branch of wild rose or hawthorn are said to harm vampires. I thought in the one story it bounced off his chest. Well, maybe they didn't have it sharp enough or something. I don't know. Uh, Now, in Europe, sprinkling mustard seeds on the roof of a house is also believed to keep them away. Where do they come up with (laughs) that? Exactly. I mean, as we'll see, things start to get a little crazy out here. Snake oil. Yeah, these are, this is just, you know, I mean, it's just like the witch stuff, you know? Get your mustard seeds, put them on your house. If she she drowns, (laughs) she's a witch. If she floats, or if she drowns, oh, she she was not a witch. If she floats, she's a witch. Like, either way, she's fucked. Um, Now, sacred items like a crucifix, rosary, or holy water will also do the trick. And vampires are said to be unable to walk on sacred ground like churches or temples. And they also can't cross running water for some reason. Mm. Mm. Um, Good to know. Yeah. Now, this one is not traditional, but I guess mirrors have also been used to ward off vampires uh, when placed facing outwards on a door. I guess in some cultures, vampires do not have a reflection, as Rob was saying. Uh, Sometimes they don't even cast a shadow, and they say this is due to the vampire's lack of soul. Um, However, you know, other myths, vampires were capable of both reflection and shadow. Uh, The whole mirror thing, as we'll find out, was adopted by Bram Stoker in Dracula and just kind of remained popular with the legend to this day. You know, similar to like you were saying with the bite stuff. And I was doing a little bit of more research into this mirror stuff specifically. And I found that I guess back in the day, mirrors used to be made from silver. So this mm. is where we get like okay. the vampire couldn't see itself because it was silver. But I guess if it was a normal mirror, they would be able to see themselves. Is that confirmed? Well, I think in terms of like modern day legends, they don't have a reflection, right? I don't believe so. Like in the 1931 Dracula, there's the scene where he's like talking to the girl and they're looking in the mirror. I mean, I don't think that was a silver mirror. Well, I was going to say, man, like I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I don't have like silver lying around, but unless you polish the hell out of it, like wouldn't it be hard to see your reflection in any? I don't know enough about silver, I guess. Yeah. Well, again, I'm thinking this was back in like the Middle Ages. You know, they just didn't have like the fucking they they couldn't just order up a mirror on Amazon. They had to make it. Yeah, they had to make it out of silver, polish well, it real fine. No, okay, so that, you would be able to see a reflection, is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm assuming. I don't. I don't know. I've never I'm seen. I'm thinking a silver it's like mirror. the whole witches. Yeah, it's like the whole witches thing. Like, oh man, like. You can't see your reflection in silver anyway, and then 
here we go trying to prove someone's a vampire they're fucked either way right (laughs) well i don't think it's like you have to clearly see your reflection like a mirror it's just you see like if you held a piece if you held like a silver cup up you would be able to see yourself on it you know how you look like all blurry and shit yeah like you look at yourself in a spoon you know it has to be all the silver, time. though. And you're upside down in the in the concave part. You know what I'm talking about, right? All right, all right, all right. So it's like that. And I guess a vampire, there would be nothing there. Now, other traditions hold that a vampire cannot enter a house unless they are specifically invited in by the owner. The mm. owner has to invite them in. As a vampire? What? What if the... Never mind. this this is just kind of debunking your theory about them killing all the neighbors where they're just going up to the door and the guy's like hey come on in well maybe if they were like hey can i stop in you know can i get some food no you can't have any food but why don't you just come on in but in the one legend he was just knocking on doors he wasn't even going into the house well the one where he asked his son for the food and then also killed his neighbors. Maybe I mean, the they could have been out. out on the street. Yeah, they could have yeah. been outside. They were farmers, dude. Just hanging out there. Yeah. <laughs> These are peasants, dude. Peasants. <laughs> now, so, you know, now, folkloric legends do hold that uh, vampires are more active at night. Uh, and they were originally not considered vulnerable to sunlight. But this has since become a common trope, as we said, with the movies. Mm. Um, so, hey, let's say you can't keep these guys away. Now you got to be asking yourself, how do I kill one of these things? You know, well, here's a training manual for you guys. Uh, this is how to kill a vampire 101. I mean, check some of this out because there's a ton of methods for destroying a suspected vampire. And these also vary widely across different cultures And this is where it's like, you know, who the fuck's writing this stuff? Um, Now, obviously, staking is the most common method, particularly in Southern Slavic cultures. Um, Love going staking. Yeah, now, Aspen was said to be used for the stakes, uh, as it was believed that Christ's cross was made from Aspen. Cold like a midnight in Aspen? Yeah, so Aspen branches on the graves of vampires also believed to prevent them from rising at night. Now, a stake through the heart or the mouth was popular in Russia and northern Germany, while the stomach was the go-to place in northeastern Serbia. Mm. Uh, Piercing the skin of the chest was a way to deflate the bloated vampire. Uh, This also falls in line with the practice of anti-vampire burial, um, and here they would basically bury somebody surrounded by sharp objects like sickles. Um, that way, if the body bloated too much, it would penetrate the skin, cause it to go down. As we said, they didn't have a, a very good understanding of decomposition. Uh, now, decapitation was the preferred method in Germany and Western Slavic areas, uh, with the head buried between the feet or behind the buttocks, away from the body. God, that's so fucked. (laughs) So (laughs) this was seen as a way of speeding up the process of the soul leaving the body, because in some cultures, the soul was believed to linger in the corpse. 
Fucking linger. Yeah, so the vampire's head, body, or clothes could also be spiked to the earth, preventing rising. Uh, Now, Romani people drove steel or iron needles into a corpse's heart and placed bits of steel in the mouth, over the eyes, ears, and between the fingers at the time of burial. They also placed hawthorn in the sock or drove a hawthorn stake through the legs of the corpse. Uh, now, in Saxon regions of Germany, a lemon was placed in the mouth of suspected <laughs> vampires. <laughs> so this is like, what are we doing here? You know, what the fuck are we doing here? They're just doing everything they can. They're putting steel everywhere. Cutting and people's <laughs> heads off and <laughs> shoving them up their ass. I don't think they shoved them up their ass. They just buried them between their legs. <laughs> between the buttocks. Um, Cut your head off (laughs) and put it in your ass. (laughs) Put it in their ass. Um, But driving the sticks through the legs, like they're just getting crazy. Lemon in the mouth? (laughs) Yeah. What? Do they just have extra fucking lemons on hand? (laughs) There's a guy selling lemons back in Germany. I mean, you know, what else can we think of here? You know, what, like if somebody comes up to you. Rob, you're the fucking top snake oil salesman. What's your new method for killing vampires? You know, a lot of people are putting the lemons in the mouth, but uh, we like blueberries. We're putting blueberries in the mouth, the (laughs) eyes, the ears, and it's keeping the vampires away. So, you know, anytime one of your loved ones dies, you're going to want the blueberries all over. You know, maybe just crush them up, smother the whole body in it. (laughs) A nice blueberry jam, you know, right between the ass. Um, so, you know, they're getting crazy with it. Now, in 16th century, uh, so this is this is actually crazy because this is when they start, like, um, what do you call it? Archaeology starts, like, finding this stuff. Mm. Can, um, uh, can I just... One sec. When I die, can you guys put a couple sickles in there? Just so I don't bloat, turn into a vampire? I'm going to put blueberries in your asshole. Yeah, and I'm also going to cut your head <laughs> off and put it up your ass. <laughs> well, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, so, I'll haunt you if you do that. So in a 16th century burial near Venice that was discovered in 2006, a brick was forced into the mouth of a female corpse, and this was believed to be a vampire slaying ritual. A brick in the mouth. <laughs> brick to the fucking mouth. as like oh. that ceremony song. Um, now, in Bulgaria, over a hundred skeletons were discovered with metal objects such as plow bits embedded in the torso. And in the Balkans, a vampire could be killed by being shot or drowned, by repeating the funeral service, by sprinkling holy water on the body, or by exorcism. So you can just shoot people and be like, yeah, that was a fucking vampire. (laughs) Vampire. Uh, Now, in Romania, garlic could be placed in the mouth. And as recently as 19th century, precautions such as shooting a bullet through the coffin were taken. Now, I think that's just good practice in general, honestly. A bullet through the coffin? If you're going to bury someone, you might as well make sure they're dead, right? I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. Because I think that would be better uh, than being buried alive. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like some of the old tales Very of like dead? probably so. Yeah, you know the term <laughs> did you know the term saved by the bell comes from that? 
Did not. Oh, co- because they used to put like a bell in yeah, there. Yeah, like in they case. would yeah, tie yeah. a string to their finger and they would only bury him three feet and have like a bell attached to it. So if they were alive, they would ring the bell and they could go dig him up. Hmm. Gnarly. Uh, I always thought it was something to do with like school. Zach Morris <laughs> is the one that thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Now, other cases, all right, and this is, again, this is where we're getting crazy here. Um, so <laughs> We haven't yet. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a lemon in the mouth isn't that crazy compared Forcing to this. Forcing a brick into your mouth. Uh, again, that was to kill the vampire. Cutting your head off and putting it up your ass. <laughs> so other cases describe... <laughs> That's the, the most extreme. All right. Other cases describe the body being dismembered and burned, mixed with water, and given to the family members as a cure. Mm. Roll me up and smoke me, baby. Yeah. So, you know, drink a glass of uh, Adam to prevent him from becoming a vampire. Wait, what? They would, <laughs> <laughs> they, would, they would cut up the bodies, burn the parts, mix it with water, and then give it to the family members to drink. Oh. Yeah. Um. So those are like, I guess, you know, that's like the folklore, the myths, the legends, the cra- they're getting crazy, they're getting creative. Um, some would even say they're getting fun with it. Now, let's take a look at evolution of the vampire through literature and film. Because in 1797, uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe published The Bride of Corinth. Uh, this was, I guess, a poem and one of the first works of fiction involving a vampire. Uh, now, 1819 rolls around and we get The Vampire, with a Y, published by the English writer John Polidori. Uh, and this was written alongside Frankenstein. Remember we talked about this on a Frankenstein episode? They went to that cabin and they were having orgies and they had a contest. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Sounds like Adam's house on the weekend. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) check out our Frankenstein episode for more on that. But this story was highly successful and arguably the most influential vampire work of the early 19th century. And this added the idea of the charismatic, sophisticated vampire, which continued to develop in modern fiction. Uh, so 1872, uh, Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu, is that how you say that? <laughs> Le Fanu. 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 Yeah, Fanu. <laughs> it's not, his novella Carmilla was published, and this was about a lesbian vampire. Now, this nice. is like a common trope, I guess I was finding, is that vampires are very uh, homoerotic. Very gay. Or sapphic. Is that the word? I think they're just erotic in general, aren't they? I mean, yes, they are very sensual, as we'll find out. Um, <laughs> now, so, so this work comes out. So the, these are some of the earliest works. Now, despite being published well after these, Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula, is regarded as the quintessential vampire novel and provided the foundation for the modern vampire legend. Now, the success of this book arguably spawned the distinct vampire genre that we know and love today. Uh, Now, before writing Dracula, Stoker spent seven years researching European folklore and stories of vampires, being most influenced by Emily Gerard's 1885 essay, Transylvania Superstitions, which included content about the vampire myths. Gotta give that one a read. 
Now, Henry Irving, this guy right here, was an English stage actor. He served as Stoker's real-life inspiration for Dracula's mannerisms. Now, Stoker hoped Irving would play Dracula in a stage version, but this guy never agreed to do a stage version. And Unreal. But nonetheless, Dracula's dramatic, sweeping gestures and gentlemanly mannerisms were directly drawn from this Irving fellow. So is that a bit homoerotic homo right there? What, this guy's like, hanging out with the stage actor, getting his mannerisms down? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's trying to write in the great novel here. You know? Um, but, yes, some people do think that Dracula is very homoerotic himself. Uh, now, Stoker also studied Irish folktales, as he himself was Irish, including the legend of... A Bartak. There you uh, go. Now, if you don't know, I, I was like kind of looking into this because I wanted to know what some of these old Irish folk tales were. And I guess this was like a king. He was fucking, uh, he was a dickhead. He was, a, he was feared <laughs> amongst his people. Uh, he treated him badly. And they basically murdered this guy, buried him standing straight up. Um, and he would come back and he would like, he wanted to, he would like request blood as a tribute from his people to sustain his energy. And eventually they had to slay this undead guy because he would keep coming back from the dead. And the only way he could be slain was with a stake through the heart. Uh, <clears throat> now, a lot of people, yeah, now a lot of people say this is kind of where he would start to pepper in some of this stuff into Dracula. Um, now, another important piece of history which was added to Stoker's novel was Vlad the Third, aka Vlad Tepes, aka Vlad the Impaler. Now you guys heard of this guy? I have. Yeah, I believe when I first, you know, was was when we were making our Spielberg films back in the day, Rob was telling me all about this guy impaling people left and right. <laughs> um but I guess so trying so, to get you in character. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> This guy, Vlad the Impaler, he was the second son of Vlad Dracul. Uh, now, Stoker first learned about this guy in uh, 1881, and this would inspire the name of Count Dracula. Before Dracula, it was titled The Dead Undead. Uh, then it was just titled The Undead, and instead of Count Dracula, it was Count Vampy. Until, and this was actually until a few weeks before publication. Now he finds out about this guy and obviously the name sticks. Now the name Draculia uh, comes from the descendants of Vlad II of Wallachia, uh, who took the name Dracul after being in the Order of the Dragon in 1431. That's badass. Just, yeah. yeah. How do you is, get into that? Dude, this is very fucking badass. It's super fucking metal. Now, in the old Romanian language, the word dracul, uh, what meant it was a combination of drac, meaning dragon, and the U-L, meaning the. So his dad, Vlad II, was the dragon. And badass. Now, Dracula meant son of the dragon. Super Two fucking dragons. metal. Um, Vlad the Impalers is probably one of the most metal guys to live. Um, <laughs> now, in the present day... Dracul means the devil. Still cool. Yeah. 
Still, still cool. metal. Still metal. <laughs> so, now, aside from the name and brief mentioning of Romanian history, the background of Stoker's Dracula, it bears no resemblance to that of Vlad III. But um, the guy loves to count. I don't think he loves to count, but a lot of people do make comparisons. They say, hey, this guy was the real-life Dracula. This guy's super fucking metal. He's, as we said, he's about as metal as it gets. Uh, now, if you never heard this story... Get ready, because this is as brutal as it gets, and we are bringing it back in this week's Breakdown. <laughs> so Vlad III, this guy is famous for the brutal punishments he imposed on his enemies and anyone considered a threat or minor annoyance to him. Uh, now, before we get into this guy's bio here, we got to keep in mind, you know, this is the Middle Ages. Um, so this is an absolutely brutal, horrifically violent time in world history. You know, picture Game of Thrones. I mean, the guy's named the fucking son of the dragon. <laughs> yeah. And this is exactly like Game of Thrones. And I believe George R. R. Martin himself said that he researched a lot of Middle Ages history while writing those books. So there's that. Um now, what's even more crazy is this period was so insane and violent that this guy's story may have just been lost to time if it was not for the success of Dracula, the novel. Um, so it's estimated that this guy was born in November or December of 1431 in Transylvania into the Romanian court. Uh, now, at this time, there was constant power struggles between Hungary and the Ottoman Empire, modern-day Turkey. Um, Vlad's father, Vlad II, uh, he gained control of the, of the throne of Wallachia, present-day Romania. Now, at age 11, Vlad and his brother Radu, who was age 7, they're arrested, they're imprisoned by the Turkish court, and their father's basically like, yeah, you know, you can have my two sons... Um, keep them as political pr prisoners. That's a sign of good faith effort. Um, and I'll, I'll remain loyal. Like I won't attack you. Uh, this was common at the time for people to do this. Um, to imprison a seven year old. Well, no, they're keeping his son who he has the throne. They're keeping him. He kind of makes an alliance with them. And they, mm. if he does anything to cross them, they've got his sons. Some real Game of Thrones shit. Yeah, very Game of Thrones. So, so for five years, they lived in captivity. What does Radu mean? Did we look that up? We did not. So for five years, um, they live in captivity, knowing they could be killed at any moment if their father made a wrong move. Now, during this time, Vlad Third received many beatings from the guards. Uh, he witnessed executions of prisoners, including the practice of impalement. Mm. It is speculated that this is a bit of foreshadowing as to the man he would eventually become. Uh, now, eventually, Wallachia was attacked. Vlad's mother, father, and older brother were put to death. Uh, so the Turkish sultan released Vlad and Radu, and he even offered Vlad III a post in his cavalry. Uh, this guy was a brilliant general, brilliant military strategist. Uh, he went on to escape from Turkey and avenge his family's deaths and claim the throne of Wallachia for himself in 1456. Now, once he's on the throne, he starts picking bones and settling scores with his enemies. Uh, and he builds up a legacy of murdering men, women, and children and earning his nickname, Vlad the Impaler. 
Now, for those that don't know, impaling is a brutal form of torture and eventual death in which the victim, still alive, is pierced by a wooden or metal pole inserted into the stomach, anus, or vagina. Then they place this pole upright and like a human popsicle stick, this basically exits through the neck, shoulder, or mouth. Uh, Now, what makes this especially brutal was the poles typically had rounded edges. Um, so they would avoid damage to any major internal organs. Um, this way you ensure the victim stays alive and endures the pain as the pole was raised and planted to leave them on display. So gross. <laughs> so uh, Vlad impaled people in droves. Uh, he had a forest of spikes around his castle as a message to his people of what their fate would be if they did not obey. And in his wars with the Ottomans, Vlad III hid in the forests of Romania and relied heavily on guerrilla tactics. Uh, Now, his forces would poison wells, burn crops, and even send diseased men into the Ottoman ranks to infect them. Poison the wells? Oh, yeah. Poison wells. Super fucking metal. Uh, Now, one story claims that he had all the poor, homeless, and deadbeats of society in Wallachia gathered together for a great feast. So he told him, hey, come on up, having a big feast. You know, I know that you guys, you're, you know, you you're, peasants. yeah, you peasants are starving. You're begging in the street. Come on up. We're having a feast. We're eating and drinking. Come over to Vlad's for yeah, fucking Yeah, come on up to Vlad's. He then ordered the doors locked, had the entire building burned to the ground to rid Valakia of them. Yikes. So that's how he solved the uh, homeless problem. Hey, that's um, one way to do it. Now, another story was that some foreign emissaries came to talk business with Vlad. Uh, They refused to remove their hats. So Vlad says, okay. (laughs) Okay, funny guys. Uh, And he ordered their hats be nailed to their heads. Another tale tells of Vlad dining in the very field where defeated soldiers had been impaled and dipping his bread in the blood of his victims before eating it. This is the one that I remember the most. Yeah, now this is pro- this is like most likely a legend, you know. There's wow. no hard evidence that exists of that. Well, um, you don't believe the the story. Well, not believing this story, unreal. I believe this story. This is not Vlad that's not Vlad's, that's just hearsay, you know. Mm. Um, but it is said that Objection. It is said that one mass killing in particular led to his nickname the Impaler. Now, this occurred when Vlad invaded Bulgaria. I believe the battle was known as the Night Attack at Targovist. Uh, after this particular battle, Vlad had 23,844 defeated Ottomans impaled on wooden stakes outside of the city. It's a lot of stakes. Yeah. Now, when Sultan Mahmed II, the second came upon the Forest of the Dead, decaying and being feasted upon by the crows, he immediately retreated to Constantinople. Forest of the dead, dude. Yeah, forest of the uh, dead. Pretty metal. Just think about that. 23,000 people impaled. Now, some some say that like he had them in a line on the road and they were just for 30 minutes marching past impaled people on either side of the road. Others say... 
that he had them like outside of the city. So it was just a forest for like six miles of impaled people. Did that road lead to Mordor? That did not. This was a, this is a, this is actually real. This is not. This is not Lord of the Rings. The fucking trees walked in that movie. You know, I know this sounds like Lord of the Rings, but this actually happened. Allegedly. Uh, Now, now (laughs) Vlad the Third, he died in battle against the Ottomans in the winter of 1477 near Bucharest. Uh, He was decapitated, and his head was taken to Constantinople, where it was put on display as proof that Vlad was dead. Now, today, some Romanians regard him as a national hero. Statues stand in his honor at his birthplace, and his resting place is considered to be sacred to some. To some. So what do we got on this guy? Thoughts on this guy? I mean, do we see the Dracula connection here? Yeah, very misunderstood guy, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Been doing time since age 11, got out, said fuck it. Started impaling. Didn't like his first nickname, Spike. That just pissed him off even more. <laughs> Spike! Okay, now, that one was pretty gruesome. So here's here's a joke for you guys. Um, a vampire masturbating in front of a mirror? Bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, I thought the mirror was a uh, farce. Hey. It's part of the modern mythos. This is a modern vampire master. Oh, uh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Or maybe the mirror is silver, Rob. Dracula is masturbating in the mirror. <laughs> now, uh, next on the list of influences, and honestly, I can't decide which one is more brutal, um, so maybe you guys be the judge here, but this one, a lot of people claim served as influence for Dracula as well, and this is Elizabeth Bathory. Now, have you guys ever heard of her? Yeah, also fucked up. Yeah, now referred to as the most prolific female serial killer of all time. Uh, She was born in 1560, so a a bit after Vlad's time, but still Middle Ages. Um, So as we said, brutal fucking time. And we'll see once again, these people were out of their goddamn minds. Um, So they're putting lemons in their mouth and uh, (laughs) driving stakes through their knees. So she is born to this insanely rich family in Hungary. Uh, From an early age, she suffered from seizures, loss of control, and fits of rage. And it is theorized that this stemmed from the inbreeding within her family. Uh, Now, as a child, she, like Vlad, witnessed brutal punishments. Uh, One story describes, I guess, a gypsy from the town was accused of theft, and they just sewed her up inside the belly of a dying horse and just left her to die and rot. Jesus Christ. So that's (laughs) disgusting. Um, Yeah. So Elizabeth, she gets married by 15 to Count Frederick Nadaste. Nadaste? Namaste. (laughs) Nadaste? Nadaste. Nadaste. Um, now he would go on to lead the armies of Hungary against Ottoman forces. Uh, after her marriage, the countess became the head of the Nadaste estate, uh, where the couple earned a reputation as particularly harsh people. Now, Elizabeth moved into one of her many castles at Kastis in Northwest Hungary, uh, which is now Slovakia. Um, And she began surrounding herself with servants to help her torture practices 
most notably a local woman named Ersizi Majorova and a crippled midget named Fico. <laughs> so this is already like straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. Now the legend here and most of this stuff can be taken with a pretty big grain of salt. But not a grain of sand because you would have to stop and count all of them. Yeah. The Vlad stuff, like that's that's pretty true. Like maybe he didn't dip his bread in the blood, but like I'm sure he did. Yeah, the impalements, all that stuff. It's documented. That stuff's as true as it gets. Um, but this stuff, you know, we'll find out at the end. Like a lot of this, you know, we'll see the the fuckery or the kerfuffle here. Um, but this is the legend, uh, you know. So one day, the servant girl is brushing Elizabeth's hair, accidentally pulls too hard, and she goes into a fit of rage. Elizabeth, go- Elizabeth goes into a fit of rage. Uh, she pimp slaps this broad. Uh, lays her out, and she gets some blood on her hand. She gets some of this broad's blood right on her hand. Now, Elizabeth noticed that the skin on her hand where this girl's blood had been seemed to look more youthful. Hmm. Um, So, you know, this is when the gears in her psychotic inbred mind start to turn. Uh, You know, if this small blood could make her hand look young... Obviously, you know, more blood could help restore youthfulness to her her whole body, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, so pretty soon, young women and even children started to disappear from the villages around the castle. Uh, Basically, they were lured to the castle with the prospect of work and were never heard from again. Now, they'd typically be locked in a cellar awaiting torture, and Elizabeth would carry out much of the torture herself, beating the girls to death, sewing their mouth shuts, um, that she'd force them to eat their own flesh, have their genitals burned with a fire poker. Uh, sometimes she'd bite their faces and shoulders. Uh, she stuck needles under their fingertips uh, before cutting mm. off their fingers. And yes, using her brilliant blood theory, she was said to bathe in the blood of virgin girls. Really obsessed with virgins back in the day. Now, I do a quick Google math here. Quick right? math, fam. Yeah. So there's about 1.5 gallons of blood in the human body. Uh, let's say average bathtub, about 40 gallons. Average. Uh, so that's about 26 victims for one bath blood, blood bath. Highly unlikely, right? Doesn't sound like it. But, you know, what? like, what does this bath consist of? Like, some people do say that maybe she hung them upside down and, like, field-stripped them like a deer and just let, oh. the, blood, <laughs> let the blood drip on her. Jesus. You know? I mean, it's not, not, it's not like she was... Uh, maybe she wasn't filling up an entire bathtub. Like she's taking a damn shower? Oh, gosh, dude. Uh. Like this in, reminded um, me of uh, Kathy Bates' character in that uh, American Horror Story. Wasn't that also in, uh, like, a Hostel 2? Ugh. The lady like lays Never in the thing. That. Okay, another classic titty horror. Titty horror. Uh, now, so on the, a more positive, bright note, your boy Teabag is a proud gallon donor at the uh, blood bank in San Diego. Okay, that's not. Hopefully, nobody's bathing. That's not the right time for this. <laughs> <laughs> so the legend continues. Uh, eventually, Elizabeth began to run out of young women. 
Uh, villages started, villagers started to hide their daughters out of fear they'd go missing. Uh, this is where, this is when she started taking noble girls. And this ultimately led to her being caught. Uh, so in 1609, Elizabeth tried to stage the murder of a noble girl as a suicide. And the authorities finally decided to check in on this. Now, during an unannounced raid on her castle, officials discovered the dead bodies of young girls everywhere. Um, like, this is like the church basement in Jeepers Creepers, I imagine. Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> now, one of the stories was Where'd like... You get those noble girls? Now, one of the stories was that there was like all these tunnels running under the castle and... One connected to the church. This investigator was sleuthing around, you know, he's peeping around in these tunnels and he found all these decaying, (laughs) decomposing, he found all these decomposing bodies stored down there. Please don't cut that. Now, is that, is that funny? (laughs) It was. Again, we're, we're laughing at these victims of these poor girls. No, we're laughing at you not being able to say decomposing. <laughs> so there's a bunch of decomposing bodies stored down there. Uh, some bodies were found reportedly missing arms and eyes. Uh, another body was found partially burned in the fireplace. Jesus. Um, now, Elizabeth, she's taken to trial, and many servants and even survivors testified against her. And this is where we get most of the crazy exaggerated tales. Um, Now, Elizabeth and her servants were convicted on 80 counts of murder, uh, although some people say uh, there's as many as 650 females estimated to have been killed in total. And again, this is probably a huge exaggeration. Uh, Her servants were sentenced to death, but Elizabeth, she was essentially put on house arrest. Because they were saying that ankle monitor on, yeah, they were like, "Hey, this looks, you know, this is going to look too bad on the royal family. We can't have this kind of heat on us." So, a tale as old as time. If you got money, you're getting off. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, not in the way you want it. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's basically put on house arrest, imprisoned for life in a room in her own castle that was boarded up with slits for food and air. She lived there for three and a half years before she was found dead lying face down on the floor. Bloodbath didn't work after all. Yeah. So again, you know, that's a little brutal. So a vampire walks into a bar. Uh, Now he asked the barman for a cup of boiling water. The bartender says, I thought you guys only drank uh, blood. The vampire reaches into his pocket, pulls out a used tampon and says, I'm making a cup of tea. (laughs) i found these like these were the first couple jokes i found on google and i think they're pretty like uh they're pretty out there right oh Uh, yeah um but you know this stuff with elizabeth like as we said take it with a grain of salt because there's a i'm looking more into this story because i think it's fucking insane right Almost and, as insane as counting a whole bag of rice, <laughs> grain yeah. by grain. Now, there's a whole political power play here that we don't have time to get into because basically she got like all this land and power because her husband died in battle. Um, so a bunch of people were out to get her. Uh, basically, there's also a power struggle with the church at the time, which is how the investigation came about. 
Um, so a lot of people theorize that, you know, did she kill some people and maybe was cruel to peasants and servants? Probably. But did she torture and bathe in their blood? Highly unlikely. Um, there's scant evidence on this. It's basically all hearsay. Mm, court um, adjourned. Yeah. So, you know, there you have it. Because, like, what do we say with the witch hunts, you know? Remember your whole grand theory on that? It was for what? For the church to get their land of these single women. It's like, it, it, back then, especially. Anytime, it's always about the church. And anytime a woman has land, they're trying to take it, right? Anytime. You can't have that. She's a witch. She's a fucking, she's bathing in these she's girls' She's a fucking vampire. Blood. Yeah. Hey, bury yourself with the cross, all right? Yeah. Uh, We're going to take all your land. Now, nonetheless, though, the tales were told, and this probably made its way to the brain of old Bram Stoker himself. Tale as old as time. Uh, Now, thoughts here. I mean, do we see the the Dracula connection? Do we think maybe Bram was seeing this story and saying, "Eh, I could use some of this, you know? Maybe loosely. Okay. Okay, well, also found amongst Bram's notes was... The Mercy Brown Vampire Incident. Now, this is another real-life account that some believe had an influence on Bram. Um, this, is a, this incident occurred in Rhode Island, right here in the U.S. of A. in 1892. Uh, now, this is also one of the best documented cases of exhuming a corpse in order to perform rituals to banish the undead, and this was connected to a wider New England vampire panic. These fucking New Englanders, man. Uh, Yeah, so in Exeter, Rhode Island, several members of George and Mary Brown's family suffered from tuberculosis. Uh, Now, at the time, it was called consumption, and it was a devastating and feared disease. It was also poorly understood and the subject of much superstition. Just like Uh, (laughs) COVID-19. So first, the mother died. Uh, she came down with the consumption, Lord. Yep. Uh, and, you know, and we were put in pot. Wh- wh- why are they Louisiana? <laughs> <laughs> so let's try it again with the, with the proper New England accent. Brady? Sam Adams? Chrissy? Hey, we uh, got the freaking consumption over here. <laughs> so, and we put poppy seeds on a roof. I don't know why it didn't stop. Put the freaking mustard seeds out there. <laughs> yeah, so still came, still came down with the freaking consumption. All right. So the mother dies of the disease. Now followed in 1886 by the eldest daughter Mary Olive, uh, and then in 1891 the daughter Mercy and the son Edwin also contracted disease. Mercy and Mary. Now friends and neighbors of the family believe that. One of the dead family members was, in fact, a vampire and responsible for the illness. Uh, now, this aligned with the folklore at the time, as uh, you know, as we said, many, multiple deaths in one family. They link this to undead activity. Uh, now, George Brown eventually gave permission to exhume several bodies of his family members. Um, villagers, the local doctor, and a newspaper reporter dug up the bodies on March 17th, 1892, and the bodies of the mother and eldest daughter seem to be decomposing as normal, so they say, hey, not the cause, but 
The corpse of Mercy exhibited almost no decomposition and still had blood in the heart. Uh, This was seen as proof that the young woman was undead and thus responsible for young Edwin's condition. Uh, Now, this lack of decomposition was more likely due to her body being stored in an above-ground crypt for two months in New England (laughs) in the cold. So, (laughs) you know... See you again, this side or the other. Freezer-like conditions uh, before she's buried, and then, boom. No, so it's slowly decomposing as because it's thawing out. So they just fucking popped her out of the tomb and just cut her open? Yeah, pretty much. Hey, there's Yikes. still freaking blood in the hot, so uh, there we go. Now, as the superstition dictated, Mercy's heart and liver were burned, and the ashes were mixed with water to create a tonic which they then gave to Edwin to drink in hopes of resolving his illness and stopping the influence of the undead. Hey, you're sick, so uh, go ahead and drink up your sister's heart and liver. (laughs) Burned. Yeah, and And we're going to mix that into a tonic. Uh, Now, this was not the case. Edwin died two months later. So surprisingly, drinking his sister's liver and heart did not <laughs> cure his tuberculosis. And that's what he's going to be known for. What? Drinking her blood? Or drinking his sister's ashes, dude. That's disgusting. So uh, th- that was another, like, this was, I guess, a high profile case. Like, it was written about. So again, people say, hey, Bram, this had to have some influence on him. Um, so Bram Stoker's novel, as we said, that's quintessential Dracula. That comes out. Now, 1922, we get Nosferatu. You guys familiar? Oh, we're familiar. Directed by F.W. Murnau. Uh, he was influenced by the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And he says, hey, this German expressionist horror stuff, this could be a big hit. So he, he, he's like, hey, I want to kind of do my own spin on this. Now, eventually... Yeah, now eventually... Well, originally, he wanted to do a Bram Stoker Dracula adaptation, but he was not able to secure the rights. Mm. <clears throat> and quick side note, uh, because I'm doing this research, now Germans... These guys, are they just like a different breed back then? I mean, not only are they killing the horror genre in 1922, but then they basic and they they basically like created the horror genre. Then they go ahead and think up the Nazi party, the Holocaust, Germans, huge horror buffs. Am I right? And into some hardcore sex. I'm starting to think of this theory, and I'm like, okay, Germans are making all these crazy horror movies, and then Nazi Germany arises? Like, is there a connection there? Mm. Hey, foreshadowing. When when life gives you lemons, am I right? (laughs) Put them in their mouth. Put them in their mouth. Uh, (laughs) That was the Germans, right? Well, there was actually a fucking... This guy wrote this whole theory. It's called From Caligari to Hitler. Uh, And he's basically proposing a link between like apolitical escapist orientation of Weimar era cinema and later German totalitarianism. Pretty interesting theory. Uh, I guess this is this plays on like cultivation theory. 
which is like exposure to the media over time subtly forms or cultivates the viewer's perceptions of reality. Oh, well, yeah. if that's true, then 20 years from now, we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty... Uh, well, that, this wasn't even 20 years. I mean, 1922 to 38, 39, know, rise of the... rounding it up. <laughs> 1940. <laughs> but, yeah, but the Nazis are on the rise at that time. Anyways, you know, that's, that's like a whole other side note. Um, but Nosferatu, this basically, you know, he couldn't get the rights to Dracula. So he changes the, you know, he's got this crazy look, long fingers. I remember this is particularly frightening as a young kid. You guys remember? When the hand comes around the door. Oh yeah. They do, even, uh, Robert England himself, uh, he drew a line from Nosferatu right to Freddy Krueger. And he said he even based some of his movements in the film on those of Count Orlock. Pretty interesting, right? I like it. I like it. I mean, Nosferatu, we got the first vampire film. Um, the old stage actor theory, like Bram was using. Yeah, I he's like informing like a whole new generation of horror in Freddy Krueger. And God knows what else. Probably a lot of other stuff. Now, uh, Murnau is also credited with adding the killing by sunlight. Because you, you remember in the end, you know? Ooh, okay. So, you know, that kind of is, is rolled into that one. And, you know, funnily enough, I, again, I'm doing research into Nosferatu, Dracula. It's basically pure luck that we even know about this film in the modern age. Uh, because Prana Film was the production company on this. And this was their first and last film. One hit wonder. Yeah, it's like red asphalt. First show, last show. Uh, now, the company declared bankruptcy after Stoker's estate, acting on behalf of his widow, Florence, sued for copyright infringement and won. Damn. Uh, the court ordered that all existing prints of the film be burned, but one single print of the film had already been distributed around the world, and this specific print was bootlegged over the years kept alive by a cult following. And this basically made Nosferatu like one of the first cult films. Probably the OG. Well, I think there was a couple before because... Uh, well, I'm doing research into this. I mean, did you find... You found that Nosferatu was, in fact, the first cult film? Sounds like it. Because <laughs> I found... <laughs> Can you name one before it? I cannot name it, but mm. basically cult films... Hearsay. It's not like today where a cult film is just like a bad film, but people like it because it's bad, you know, and it develops a following. Vampire's Kiss. Or Basket Case. I watched that the other night. Classic. Eraserhead. Um, oh, that's a great film. I'm just Yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to fuck with you. But I guess like... Hellraiser. In, but cult, that's a fucking brilliant film. That movie sucks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All right, we're not getting onto a horror discussion just yet because cult. I'm I'm defining cult films because they they started yeah, out I'm just as like ones that suck that people really like. Yeah, but cult films didn't start out like that. They started out like they Nosferatu. Started from the bottom? No, they started like Nosferatu in that. There, film. It's like a banned book. It's like yeah, it's like and they were like someone not to do and something. And they were they like, oh it yeah, I want to watch it exactly. It's like a they were like banned books. Like they said, hey, get these films out of here. But one copy survived and is kind of passed on. That was like the true beginnings of a cult film. And I believe there were a couple before Nosferatu. But we could go ahead and say Nosferatu is probably 
one of the biggest ones. So 1931, Dracula comes along. And Dracula, along with Frankenstein, the film, are, are often seen as the foundations of the modern horror genre. Am I right? You know, I mean, these not only changed the horror landscape, but they just kind of sparked a new age in film as a whole. Uh, because Universal would essentially build a catalog of monsters um, that are still just as popular as ever. You Those know? are probably the two heavy hitters, though, wouldn't you say? Well, I think the because oh, yeah. I think there was the Hunchback, and then they also had mm-hmm. like the Laughing Man and maybe the Invisible Man before Dracula. But Dracula and Frankenstein were definitely the two biggest, and they kind of blew up the I guess horror genre because Dracula was like the first big budget like serious horror film, you know. Um, there was no like comic relief. There was no twist ending, no gimmicks. It was just straight up, straightforward, a horror film. Uh, you know, and Bella Lugosi, he wasn't even the first pick for Dracula. I had heard that. Uh, and I guess the original guy, he ended up dying before they could film some old bag from blood loss. Uh, (laughs) I don't think he died of blood loss. He was just old. Uh, now, now, this is, uh, again, I thought interesting. Dracula has seen more adaptations than any other character in the horror genre. Dracula has seen more adaptations that is second to, like, one character in all of film that has, has had, like, more film and TV written about it. Who's the number one? Jesus Christ. Nope. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then Dracula is number two, um, which, but I mean, for horror, like, I guess that makes sense if he was like the first big budget horror guy, and I mean, why not? He's cool. He's sexual. He's suave. I mean, I was watching that one. God damn, he is one suave fucker. This is the thirty-one version. Yeah, the thirty-one version. 31. Bella Lugosi. BG. Yeah, and and this one, this is all owed to that thirty-one performance from Lugosi. Uh, because in the book, in Bram Stoker's book, he's an old man right off the bat. Uh, you know, he's a monster and he gets younger as he takes his victims. Like it's like a, a twist or a surprise in the book. Um, it's like Benjamin Button. Yeah, but in the film, they it's exactly like <laughs> Benjamin Button. Yeah. Um, but in the film, yeah, and in the film, they kind of did the whole Hannibal Lecter thing, you know? Like, here's a smart, intelligent, well-spoken guy, but at his very core, he's pure evil. Just like Michael Myers. Well, I I wouldn't say he's, like, intelligent or well-spoken. Pure evil. (laughs) Like, you see Michael Myers at a dinner party, he's going to stand out. He's going to stab you, probably. Yeah. uh, Bella Lugosi and Hannibal Lecter, they're going to be sitting there drinking Chianti and fava beans. Eating some brains. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, even the look, the slick back, uh, the high collar, we get that from this 31 film. Dracula, inventor of the slick back. Yeah, Dracula. I mean, <laughs> No Dra- one was doing it before 31. Well, not, not as a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's not, not as a vampire. <laughs> you didn't see all, va- you didn't, all the vampires out there were like, shit, we got to get on the slick back. Dude, guys. it's true. You didn't see a vampire with a slick back before Dracula. And you, and in the folklore, that, they're not like, 
He had slick back hair <laughs> with pomade. Well, he looked. Like, you know, like, <laughs> they're not describing these guys as suave. They were like old, decrepit, bloated, uh, dark figures. You know, broken teeth in, in rags. Yeah, they were fucking suave gentlemen. No one um, wants to look at that for two hours. Exactly. Now, now, okay. And here's where we can kind of get into our discussion on films because you're you're already bringing up films that suck. Now, if we talk about <laughs> if we talk about like strictly vampire films, did we see like I think I feel like in the early two thousands there was a bit of an oversaturation on vampires. Mm, a bit. Okay, so you you agree with this theory? Yeah. You know, we had True Blood, Twilight, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Did you ever watch True Blood? I did not. Actually, not that bad. <laughs> okay. So, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Like anything, there was so it's much vampire It's a titty shit. horror. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and are vampires emo, technically? In Twilight, yeah. But what about like Dracula himself? Mm-hmm. That's a good uh, IG question right there. Okay. Uh, and do you guys know the highest grossing vampire film of all time? I would think the 31 film, no? I would think no. your, your fucking boy, Edward. Yeah. Uh, Twilight. The Twilight oh, wow. Saga has all four of the top five, I think. Four because, out of five ain't bad. Because it breaks down with... Twilight, the first one, earned uh, $392.6 million. Uh, New Moon brought in $709 million. Jesus Christ. Eclipse, $698.4 million. Breaking Dawn 1 made $712 million. And then Breaking Dawn 2, highest grossing of all time with $829 million. You guys ever watch those? Well... I have been watching the Twilight films. I've never seen... Okay, me and Lexi threw on the first one last night. I'd never seen them before. And I get it, Thoughts? you know? Honestly, I get the appeal. Yeah? Yeah. Have you guys seen them? No, Gil told me I need to watch them. Gil's a big fan. Shout out to my boy, Gil. Have you seen them, Teabag? I saw one in theaters with a young lady, and there was only one reason why I saw it, and it wasn't for the movie. So. Okay. It was for that fist that you gave her after the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so now, so okay, Twilight, because let's talk about this. Because I started watching the film and I get it, you know, I get the appeal. These are like, this is like some cool, like, teeny bop movie. Like, I could see as a, I could see as a teenager you being into this stuff. Like, I get why the movie's made so much goddamn money. They're, they're appealing to teenage girls, right? I mm. just want to be like Kristen Stewart. And maybe even teenage guys. And also, <laughs> I didn't even know this. It takes place in like... Um, New England. No, no, not... No, it's <laughs> South Washington. Yeah, Sporks or Forks. Uh, Sporks. <laughs> Forks. Forks, Washington. Forks, Washington, located right next to Spoons, Washington. Um, but Just south of Knives. I didn't know this, that um, Lexi's good friend, Megan... Shout out, Megan, friend of the podcast. Who, Adam knows her. Yeah, Adam. I believe you've had some conversations with her, right? Oh, conversations for sure. <laughs> yeah, so a new she man? lived in Forks. She could be a vampire. You could be a vampire. Well, you think this guy's living out in the woods by himself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sleeping in a coffin in there, buddy? Upside down. I do not say blah, blah, blah. 
Do we need to cut your head off and shove it up your ass? <laughs> I'm going to put a lemon in your mouth, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I get it, dude. I get the appeal of the movies. Um, and I'm going to be I'm going to be start I'm going to be firing up some more. Maybe if the first one's good. I mean, we only got like halfway through. You just sound like you loved it. I mean, I'm just saying I get the appeal. Personally, uh, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's a little too like um well emo made about a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I wonder how much Rob's sitting on after that. Well, quite a bit. Um <laughs> and you know, so Twilight obviously rakes it up at the box office with all of these movies. Close second. What do we think second highest grossing vampire film is that's not in the twilight saga well not nosferatu because they got their ass sued it's actually hotel transylvania starring oh, adam see? sandler it's a good one yeah 358.3 million um now what what all right let's just talk about films in general i mean what are some of your favorites um favorite characters um what do we got on vampire films I would say, obviously, you know, if we're going to say best or favorite, I'll just go with the OG, Dracula. Okay, the 31 version? Yeah. And then Nosferatu, obviously, you know, pretty cool. Not as cool. But you, like, rewatch that? Like, you would watch that now? I've watched, I don't, it was probably, like, a couple years ago the last time I watched it. I watched it just the other day. Threw it on while I was typing this thing up. It's all right. It was all right. Had to watch the bootleg, you know. Okay, and if if we had to recommend any films, I mean, vampire films. What are you say? Are you going with the the cheesy ones? Uh, vampire in Brooklyn. You're telling our audience members to watch those. Yeah, any good Vampire's ones? Any ones that scared you? I mean, vampire movies. No. What about Thirty Days of Night? That was pretty crazy, right? Josh Hartnett. <laughs> it was I. Right. It was I. Right. All right. What about? I remember Salem's Lot. The TV miniseries that the vampire in that is actually fucking scary. What about Lost Boys? That's a good one. Yeah, that's good. But that's again, scary. Yeah, that's more like greaser. They're like greaser, cool vampires with pompadours. You know, it's almost like rockabilly. Slickbacks. Yeah. Well, they got pompadours, <laughs> not slickbacks. Little mini pompadour, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about Dracula two thousand? You remember that movie? <laughs> yeah, that one sucked. <laughs> That's extremely cheesy. Oh, what about Underworld? Okay. Those okay. are fucking badass. They weren't scary, now, but they were that, pretty sick. That's like similar to Blood Rain, right? You remember the game Blood Rain? That was a game, right? Sounds like it. Is that also a movie? I, I could see some kind of adaptation. Gonna be honest, made, yeah. I don't know, but I would guess yes. But because his underworld, like, she's like Van Helsing or related to him or something. Yeah. She's going around murking vampires. Okay, so that's like a va- that's like Van Helsing. That's silver, like a vampire hunter. Silver bullets, I okay, think. Okay, okay. Isn't that more like a Wolfman type deal, though? Well, if you look, if you watch the 31 Dracula, he shapeshifts into a wolf. And those are like very, they're very connected. Um, it's very scientific. We yeah. won't get into that. <laughs> Um, so that's just more of the mythos, you know, more of the lore. Remember mom's got a date with a vampire. <laughs> yeah. That was a funny one. I, I need to one. rewatch that. Um, it's on Disney plus. Okay. So you're, so what about you teabag top, top vampire movies? Ones that scared you. What do we got? 
Bro, I can't even think of any vampire movies besides Interview with a Vampire. Dennis and I were watching some show on Netflix where this brother and sister, their parents are like monster hunters and they have to kill vampires. I forget what it was called, though. Hmm. Actually, the new Netflix dropped like some mini series that was like vampires that was pretty good. I forget the name mm. of it, but it was about a vampire going up to this like nunnery and he's trying to get in. Pretty badass. Now, for me, I'm thinking uh, Blade. Ooh, classic. Dude, the, the Blade trilogy, fucking pure badass. Am I right? That is badass. Blade, I mean, I'm. Blade I'm, is a classic. Yeah, I think I'm being fucking Blade next Halloween. Wesley Snipes over there. Yeah, dude. The leather duster. You're going to stop paying that taxes, too? <laughs> <laughs> hey, then the government will make you disappear. And they're remake. They're, do, they're doing the Marvel Blade, right? Now, do we think that's going to beat out uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2? <laughs> as the highest grows. You don't think a Marvel movie could potentially beat out Breaking Dawn? I do, but here's the catch, like... You got to get the women into it. That's how you get it because the women will bring the men to the theater. But the man is not going to, like, you're not going to talk to your girl and be like, hey, let's go watch Marvel Blade. She'll be like, no, you can go watch your superhero movie. Oh, no, fuck no. I would take, I would say, I'm buying your ticket. You're coming to see okay, Avengers. In your situation, yeah, that would work. But I feel like in most situations, you're not going to I will be seeing, see that. I will be taking Lexi to see Blade when it comes out. Mark my words. Or we can all go on Christmas morning and uh, <laughs> pass out in the theater. <laughs> now, Maybe order some uh, drinks. Did you, guys, did you guys ever see Blackula? <laughs> I've seen it Only once. Only in The Simpsons. <laughs> what about like Daybreakers or Let the Right One In? Isn't uh, Let the Right One In was pretty good in terms of like horror? Like yeah, scary? Right. Yeah. Uh, and then how about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Were you guys ever into that? I know that's also huge. Ooh. Sarah Michelle. I mean, I was I thought it was pretty cheesy. I tried to watch it a couple of times. Well, what about the film with the chick from Big Daddy? Yeah, same. Cheesy. Too cheesy? Even I think so, but Okay. Now I will say I I saw a pretty badass documentary on History Channel about Vlad the Impaler. I know it's not Dracula per se, but talk about that's where we get the mythos, the legend from. Well, that's just the name, but I guess like the legends play into it. I mean, it, when you think about it, that guy was a real life Dracula, uh, and pretty badass and very fucking metal. Um, they need to make a fucking movie on that guy, Spike. That's what it'll be called. <laughs> Directed by Spike Lee. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so, Spike Jones, played by right. Wesley Snipes. So, if you're going favorite <laughs> vampire movie, you're saying Dracula 31. Teabag, you're saying Interview with the Vampire. Like that's the only one I can think of, man. I, I don't even remember. Wa- I, like, I remember watching it. I don't remember the movie though. Apparently, it's a titty hoarder, so I need to go back. All right, I, I think I'm going Blade, dude. Blade. Uh, yeah. I like that. Badass blade, I like that. Uh, but I, I would say, like, probably the best of all is Vampire's Kiss, as we were saying. Best of all time. <laughs> I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. Put them in the right <laughs> pile. You know, A, B, C, D. What is happening to me? <laughs> Adam, please watch that after this is done. Uh, we'll get a, we'll get a, what is it? We'll get footage of me watching it, and people can pay to see it. Oh, reaction video. There we go. All right, so let's let's wrap this one up because, you know, it's getting pretty long here. So conclusions on vampires. 
Um, so in this sense, in my whole conclusion here, I'm thinking vampires are similar to religion. And that, you know, there's all these old myths from region to region. They vary. Um, and we just take similarities, lump them all into one category. And it's as we said earlier, you know, vampires started off as folkloric legends in many different cultures. The Mesopotamians had the Lamistu, uh, which was the head of a lion and body of a donkey. Ancient Greeks had the Striges, which was bloodthirsty birds. In Philippines, they had the Mananangal, which was a flying upper torso. And they also had the Aswang, <laughs> which was a shape-shifting evil spirit. Uh, Malaysia, they had the Panangalan, which is the flying head with the spine and entrails hanging. Ooh. Maybe we do an episode on that. That sounds crazy as fuck. And Australia, they had the Yaramayahu, uh, which was like a little red guy with like a Donkey Kong head. <laughs> uh, and he had blood suckers on his hands and feet. Now, all of these legends, <laughs> all of these legends, at a glance, they're pretty different, but they carry the common thread of thirst for blood in order to sustain themselves. And if we look at nature, you know, we got mosquitoes, ticks, leeches. Um, this is something that exists in the natural world. This vampire idea, bats. Yeah, this idea of mm. a blood sucker. And vampire bats are named after Vampire. vampires because they weren't discovered until like way after. Delusions. Um, now, I believe, so this is my whole theory. It's just it's that like, well, it's not a theory. It's just, you know, I'm saying through ignorance... Uh, and these legends, these tales, they kind of morph over time and eventually spawn off into its own legend, which drew from a lot of these old myths. I mean, vampires, like, that's a fairly recent thing in the grand scheme of things, you know, 18th century. Uh, so, you know, are vampires real? The world may never know. Well, in an ontological sense, yes. You know, if we hold that the existence of the concept of vampires proves the existence of vampires. Mm. You think, therefore they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there you have it, man. It's look paradox. out. Yeah, look out for vampires. Um, <laughs> get your garlic ready. Get your steaks ready. Your hawthorn ready. Play some hawthorn heights. <laughs> That'll keep the vampires away. Uh, and there you have it. Uh, I mean, do we got a TLDL for this one? Vampires, bloodthirsty beings. Being Watch a vampire out. pays, baby, because Rob Pattinson made an estimated 20 mil for each movie that he was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there we go. Uh, go ahead and suck a neck. So for this one, I want to cite rvamag.com hunt for the richmond vampire history.com dracula's dungeon unearthed in turkey by christopher klein medicalbag.com the legend of elizabeth bathory 100 years of cinema on youtube actually check them out i i was watching a lot of the like history on the film stuff on there that guy's got some pretty good videos uh, and a field guide to demons, vampires, fallen angels, and other subversive spirits mm. by Carol K. Mack and Dinah Mack. Uh, and there you have it, guys. Hope you're staying safe out there. And on that. Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to DM us. Uh, Instagram is Podcast from Outer Space. 
Uh, shoot us an email, podcastfromouterspace at gmail.com, or head over to our website, podcastfromouterspace.com. we got some new merch coming your way, but for now, you can always check out those stickers and t-shirts, baby. Hope you all learned a little something about vampires tonight. Stay safe this spooky season, and so long and thanks for all the fish. Oh,